Well, welcome to the Holy Shift Podcast. These are conversations about church leadership and culture. I'm Scott Neal, your host. On this episode, we have pastor, church planner, and author of the book, Echoing Hope, How the Humanity of Jesus Redeems Our Pain. He is also host of the Theology Curator Podcast. He and his wife, Lauren, have two daughters and recently moved from Seattle, Washington to Canada to Pastor Brent View Baptist Church. I'm talking about Kurt Williams. Welcome to the Holy Shift Podcast, Kurt. Hey, hey, hey. So happy to be here, Scott. And uh, thanks for that kind introduction. Definitely um, fun to get to talk about Jesus and book and ministry or whatever comes up. Well, I'll tell you what, it's a real honor to have you here. I have actually followed you for quite some time. You and I got connected because of not only your podcast, but different things that you've posted. I don't, I can't remember if it was Facebook or Instagram or Twitter or something, but something you said a few times uh, tweaked my interest and I began to follow you a little bit. And you had a contest uh, probably a year ago, I guess yeah. it was, maybe not that long ago, but you were giving away N.T. Wright books and I'm an N.T. Wright fan. So I said, hey, well, let me let me apply. And I actually won. I think it's probably one of the only things I've actually won, uh, but it was great. And uh, you, you sent me uh, you sent me not only a signed copy of your book, which I have here, and that's the book I've been reading, but you also sent me all of N.T. Wright's, uh, or at least many of his, uh, his books. So uh, that was great. That was a great uh, way to get to know you. So I wanted to put you on the podcast at the very beginning, but you were actually in the process of moving from Seattle to Canada, and you have begun to pastor Brentview Baptist Church. So, uh, wow, why why Canada? I just want to get started right there. What, what are you are you tired of the U.S. or what's oh, the deal? Oh wow, wow, it's such a good question. I love how you yeah. said it. Um, yeah, so we, so I think in the back of our minds, we always thought, oh yeah, we could imagine ourselves somewhere like Canada or yep. even England, you know, d- different culture, but similar enough to step into ministry. And about three years ago, uh, this would have been 2018, I believe, uh, we began to just sense in our heart that God was guiding us towards something new. Didn't know what that meant. And we knew it wasn't going to be fast. And so we just said, God, we're open, we're available. What does that look like? And, you know, that happens in 2018. 2019, still nothing. We're just like, maybe this, no, maybe this, no, bunch of almost opportunities. And, you know, so as we move towards the pandemic, I've written my book at that point, or I'm writing my book at that point. It's kind of like, oh, were we hearing right? Like, what's going on here? Because this is taking a lot longer than is convenient for our our plan, God. So what's up? And um, somewhere in that journey, uh, someone contacted a mutual friend in Canada and said, hey, do you know anyone who is kind of in our, our similar stream of faith? You know, this. Uh, uh, some people know me for having sort of an Anabaptist background and some of this kingdom theology stuff. And so people get to know people. And so some of those people are in Canada. And so I got an email one day saying, hey, there is a job opening up. It's probably not going to open up for a while, but would you be open to having a conversation with someone from this church? And the church was Brentview Baptist Church. And I thought to myself, okay, I've never been, well, maybe I actually I was for a very short season as Baptist as a youth pastor, but I, it's not like a tradition I'd been a part of. And okay. so 
I was like, okay, but if we're kind of intersecting with similar influences and similar ideas, and maybe it actually could be a great fit, end up having a great conversation with the person who would eventually lead the search committee. And that, well, took over a year. So, um, you know, so basically they hire an interim pastor somewhere after that. So I'm sitting around like, oh, that church, that conversation, that was really cool. That's really unlikely. So I've got to just continue discerning and being open to other opportunities. And so we were, and those almost, but not quite panned out, a few of them. And then this job, the permanent position posted. And I thought to myself, well, maybe I should just throw my my, uh, resume into the ring here and see if uh, I'm the last one standing. I don't know. Like, I, I didn't assume anything at that point. And through a series of conversation and prayer and all that stuff, we really realized that this was God's best next step for us. Mm -hmm. And so um, we did something silly and we moved to another country, you know? So it's a, it's been, it's been a hard transition insofar that it's been an administrative transition. So Mm -hmm. just getting across the border and all of the things you have to do to do that legally work permit stuff. Our dog was, um, we have a 12 year old dog who held us up for a little bit because she for the last few years has had an autoimmune disease that we knew about. And since she had that diagnosis, she can't get vaccinated again because it flares up her autoimmune disorder. And so to get her into Canada, we had to jump through all these legal hoops. It was just wild. Like how many things we had to administrate. Uh, but all of the big things, right. Where we live, Um, the families we get to know, the opportunities, like all of the big rock hopeful things about transition have been beautiful and good. Uh, All the nitty gritty, that was just a headache for a while, but we're actually past most of it, at least for now. So we're excited to be here. Brentview is a great place. Uh, First day I started work, we had new restrictions put in place because the fourth wave of COVID hit Calgary much later than it hit most of the United States. And so um, we've been in mass and we've been one third capacity since basically day one of me being here, but people have been flexible and, uh, excited and there's really just amazing things happening. So, uh, yeah, we, we love it. We love it. Well, that's great. Well, I'm so glad that, uh, it, it's worked out as well as it has. And now you, did you have any family in Canada or friends in Canada or <laughs> was this just, Oh, Scott, man, we, uh, we, we showed up sight unseen. So we took the job and we couldn't travel because of the travel bans that were all in place. So in, I think it was August, we had already been affirmed as the lead pastor family. And we said, well, we better travel there because we need to know that we like this place, but we had already accepted the job because we just really really believe that that's what the Lord was leading us to. And so, yeah, we have no connections outside of like seminary friends or like, you know, I know a lot of people that are connected to things like the meeting house and Jesus collective, Mm -hmm. but, uh, nothing that's, I have family here because I'm Mennonite, but I don't know who they are, but they definitely (laughs) exist, but I've never met them. So, yeah. Now that, that triggers a thought. How, how close are you to Bruxy? I'm sorry. How close are you to Bruxy Cavey? You know, so we were in the same denomination for right. all these years back. So since 2012, I've known him. 
And uh, yeah, we we talk once in a while and support. I'm each sorry, other's I mean work. just close in proximity. Your churches. Oh, oh. I don't like, know anything about Canada. I'm not sure oh, where they're yeah, located. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's hilarious. Yeah, no. I'm no, sorry. I was like, yeah, Brexy. I wasn't clear. No, no, no. Yeah, Brexy's a buddy, but besides that, yeah. um, no, he he feels very far away. So we're mm. in the same country, but yeah. I, it's definitely a, a decent flight, you know, because we're oh, okay. We're north of the montana border i think oh okay. and toronto i mean it's almost new york right so okay. um so it's a it's a bit I'm of a not trek. familiar enough with the country to know where everything is so i'm yeah. just curious no that's yeah. funny yeah i wouldn't either actually uh, i had to <laughs> learn i'm still learning my kid knows more because she's in school so right, yeah. right, right, right. <laughs> well let me ask you this how, how different is brentview than the church you were in seattle is this a big change or yeah. i mean i would imagine if they hired you that that you're somewhat similar in theology and obviously similar in yeah. style but are, is there a big difference in, in culture or is this going to be a big change for you or, or is it pretty much the same or I'm not sure yeah. how it was in Seattle? So Seattle was very much a, uh, a uh, missional church plant thing, right? So we uh, were always very organic. Um, we took various, there's been various versions of the church we planted as people moved and as things shifted. So no, we, we definitely were very, uh, kind of smaller, low-key, intimate community in yeah. Seattle. Um, this is much more of your your standard, um, you know, Protestant uh, programmed church, right? So there's right. a youth ministry, kids ministry, you know, all the stuff. Sure. And part of the discernment process was realizing that although we love the best parts of what our church planting experience was, that a lot of the things that I feel called to in my own personal like leadership formation and ministry are actually things that fit better in traditional church environments, I think. Um, and, and not tradition, traditional by like not music or whatever, but like sure. st- there's some structure and there's some program and right. I can right. guide and mentor uh, a staff and these sorts of things. And so, so for me, it is a big change, but it's not a big change as though I've never been in these environments. I just took a, uh, about a decade off from that kind of an environment, you know? So, um, yeah, it's, it's definitely a change theologically. Uh, yeah, the, this particular church is definitely right where I am. I'm helping develop that more so, but yeah. There's um, so there's not like absolute crazy uniformity, but there's room for me to be me as a pastor. And that is always um, something I, I truly desire. I want to be able to be who I am and not, uh, you know, all my stuff. And, and Scott, you know, this, you have my book in your hand and I've been yeah. writing for years. So like all the things I think that would rub people, whatever kind of way are kind of out in the world. And so I, I, I don't, in my own personal situation. And I know this isn't how it is for everyone in ministry. I know. And I empathize with that, but for me, um, I have to be in a place where I don't have to have certain things that I have to hold back. Um, when it comes to, you know, uh, yeah, I'm a pacifist. I'm never going to hide that. It just happens to be a conviction of mine. You don't have to share that conviction. Totally. That, cool. That's got to bring, you know it's I mean? bring like, some, some freedom. And yeah. some some release to know oh. that hey, there's not you know there's not I, I kind of put all my cards on the table you yeah. know read my book you know yep. read my writings listen to my podcast you're gonna see who I am so there's not a lot of surprises yeah. uh, this is who I am take me leave me there's got to be some freedom in that beautiful freedom and that's that's what yeah. we wanted we 
we uh, we've we've been in situations where we felt like we were playing defense, and we've also been in situations where we reacted to being in defense, and we've grown past a lot of that, and and now realize, yeah, I can have my convictions, and I can shepherd people with different ones, and right. what what does that look like to keep Jesus at the center of all of that, even where there are distinctions that are different. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so it's, hey, what, it's what is something, what is something you, you, you said you were in Seattle for 10 years. Is that right? Planning. So I was there for eight years, but okay. I finished up seminary and kind of was planning okay. for about two years. So, yeah. So what did, what, what, what's a lesson you learned in that environment there in Seattle, Ooh. the eight years of planning? What is something you've taken with you to Brentview? Hmm. How's Kurt different as a result of that? Oh, a lot different. Um, <laughs> a lot different. Uh, Seattle was a place where I grew up a lot. Uh, if I'm if I'm really honest, um, sure. There's a lot of uh, transformation that happened there. That took it took a lot of pain to get to that transformation. Um, and so I'm a different human than I was when I was 30 and moving to Seattle, um, 29 and. And so there's that. I think God has just been forming me and um, my marriage is radically stronger than it's ever been. Uh, not perfect. Uh, we bicker. We've got all the stuff. Everyone does, but different, you know? Um, so there's that. But I would say when it comes to just ministry specifically, um, I, I think one of the things I realized, I, I kind of firmed up some of the things that I was questioning during my late twenties and early thirties, you know, I, 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 I'm open-handed on a lot of things still. I still believe that God, um, there's breathable space, there's mystery, but I also kind of know what my convictions are. And so I also realize now that, um, how I teach changes, um, how I, how I guide people changes when I'm in that space. And, and it's not to conform everyone else to my vision of convictions or whatever, but rather, um, I, I think in Seattle for a season, I was worried about stepping on toes sometimes, like, like wounding people that had been wounded by the church. Like we had a lot of people who were on their way out of church and our community became like their last stop. And, um, I think what I've learned is I always want to love those people. Well, many of them are my friends. I love them to death, but um, building a ministry around that takes a certain calling and a certain zeal for that. And um, I realized along the way that I also need partners who are kind of post-deconstruction. Um, and not that I didn't have any, but just on the larger scale, um, people who have been through that journey of like wrestling with their faith and coming out the other side with more Jesus, more grace, more freedom. Um, I need those people in my life and I need to build ministry around them as well. And so I think that's the gift of a church like Brentview is we're going to make room for people wherever they are in their spiritual journey. But we're also already got people who are passionate. Like we've got like four prayer environments that meet every week, all led by volunteers, you know, like people are just passionate about Jesus in a different, um, lane of life than was always possible. Um, and some of that comes with numbers and some of that comes with our ministry focus and our ministry focus. Is now, what, what, different. what is yeah. the culture of, what size of community are you in, in Brentview and what kind of culture is that? Yeah, no, it's great. You know, so Calgary coming from the U S it's so hard to even understand things like moderate liberal conservative, right. But Calgary on the whole, 
would be moderate, conservative, moderate, uh, probably more moderate compared to U.S. spaces, but conservative-ish for Canada. Um, And so Brentview kind of reflects that, I think, kind of a moderate tendency um, politically, theologically, probably in that, at least in evangelical theology, probably a moderate tendency. Um, the church is before COVID, and these are things I'm told because I've not seen it in action. Before COVID, probably about five to six hundred people on a Sunday. Um, I think I think right now uh, it, we just can't measure it. We've got maybe 130 people coming to our one third capacity and video views, right? So, um, but a lot of engagement actually here, which is fascinating, um, and engagement from people who watch at home who for them see it as their duty to give up their seat for someone else who might need it more than them. Um, so it's not even a disengagement because they're like all in on the, the broadcast, but it's a, uh, a sense of duty for the other. So there's really something unique uh, about how this is played out here. That's really beautiful. But, but yeah, that's some of the dynamics. So post, post COVID, whatever wave we're in, and hopefully we're done with some waves for a while. Uh, I, I I don't know what it looks like, but uh, yeah, we're heading somewhere, and it's going to be good. Yeah, well, I want to I want to talk to you a little bit more about that a little further into this because yeah. I have some questions regarding COVID and kind of where the church is right, yeah. right now. Yeah, at least some thoughts. Your family. Before we get into your book, your family adjusted pretty well. Your, yeah, your two daughters, right? Oh, and man. your wife is that? That's got to be uh, a big change. To, huge, huge. But it, yeah. it's a it's a good change overall. Um, you know, our family's all in California for the most part, so. Seattle, Calgary, besides maybe the distance technically, it's it's all the same experientially, right? It takes a flight to get here. So um, the, the positives I would say is my wife Lauren is able to slow down a little bit. She's not working for the first time in over a decade and is home with her almost three-year-old right now. And um, our uh, oldest kiddo has found a network of friends already. So So it's been a social gift in the sense that we've just stepped into community and people have loved us well. And that's not true of people for the most part who move to new cities, but because I'm a pastor and people all know who we are, we get a lot of invites and uh, we're grateful for that. And uh, it's been a much easier transition than others might have. So um, yeah, excellent. we'll keep leaning well, in. Man, I, I I tell you what, I wish you the best, and and can't wait to see what all is going to happen there. And wow, so, thank you, thank you, Scott. Yeah, you're, yeah. you're welcome. Hey, I want to I want to jump into your into your book, and for those of you who are seeing this for the first time and you're not familiar with Kurt, this is his book. It's called um, Echoing Hope: How the Humanity of Jesus Redeems Our Pain. So I want to jump into this, and I just want to you know some things that stuck out to me, Kurt. Some yeah. things that I'd like to just you know kind of open your mind a little bit more and, and get, get some additional thoughts on it. We certainly can't even cover, we won't even attempt to cover a third of the book, but For sure. you know, just a few things that, that stuck out to me. My, my first question is, is, is why this book? I mean, yeah. you're, you, you no doubt wrote this, I would imagine in your mid thirties. Is that right? Oh yeah. And yeah. Uh, so you're, you're in Seattle at this time. You're, you're planning this church. Yeah. You're in your mid thirties. You've got two small kids and you're writing on pain. Yeah. So I have to I have to go why? Why mm. this book is it is it a result of the people you saw there? Maybe some things in your own life? You just felt this was a need within the body? Yeah. Why did you choose to to dive into to the pain? Ah, what a lovely question. You know, it's true. It's true. Uh a lot of people wonder like 
you're writing your first book and you're talking about suffering. Like what, what's so like, doesn't sound very fun, you know? And yet it was, it was all kinds of emotions. But so I had a very hard childhood and I had to process that in all kinds of different ways over the years, you know, and I, as a teenager had a lot of healing as I gave Jesus my full attention, you know, that kind of recommitment as a teenager. And for years, that carried me so far. For years, knowing that Jesus was there in my past, but had a better future for me, uh, that motivated me so much to say, the past doesn't define me. That was a, one model for understanding a broken childhood, physical abuse, scarcity, all of those things. And as I got into Seattle, we're planting a church, we're trying to figure out what what does life look like now? Are we going to plant the next cool big thing? What's this all about? Uh, I start really struggling with anxiety at a deeper level than I had. And anxiety's always been there, low grade. Probably some undiagnosed PTSD or something creeps in once in a while and other things. And I, I had it so bad, though, that it was debilitating. I just didn't want to do anything. Like When I was at home... I had a child that I could be hanging out with and I didn't, I, I just was frozen. I, I tell the story in the book that I just felt frozen on the couch. I, I couldn't engage. And, and something in me just triggered, I need to explore why this is, this is not good. This is not God's will for my life. And so through a couple of good friends, I, I decided to step into therapy, found a guy who loves the Lord, um, uh, but is also thoroughly good at psychology and, um, that journey plus spiritual direction and spiritual formation, all these things are coming together at the same time. And as I'm wrestling with my own pain, an interest is emerging that at the time I actually didn't know was connected. And that was the humanity of Jesus. I, I just was really fascinated with the idea that you and I are created to become like the perfect human who is Jesus, uh, the image bearer that we're always hope you know, always meant to be back in Genesis one and two. And so I start writing a book about that and I even take it to, I have, a, I have an agent. So I get in the room with a major publisher and they're like, we love what you write and we love what we read when we get into the book, but you have, you have to think about hook here. Like, we're not sure what you're like. People aren't asking, how does the humanity of Jesus change my life? Like, Maybe some people are, but not like instantly. And I was like, oh, so I'm finally almost going to get a book deal, but I'm not. That's great. <laughs> That's how I received that. Yeah. But then I also was like, I've got to be mature here. I've got to process this. I've got to. So, so I just let that linger. My, my, um, my, my agent actually was like, let it linger and think about it and wrestle with it and get creative. And, and also realize that because people like the content, and like your writing style, you've already like, you're already almost there, but it's how do you get people into the door? It's kind of like ministry. How do you get people into the door? And so I, I sat with that and I didn't want it to feel gimmicky. I didn't want it to be like, oh, here's something that'll make people feel good about the humanity of Jesus. Like that's, that's not my style. Like I, I don't want to, I try to be authentic where, where um, I'm aware of, of my need to be, of course. And so... I was sitting, I, I feel like I might've been, a lot of my good thoughts come in the shower. I don't know why, but it just does. 
um, or in the car. And I realized the thing that connects Jesus's humanity to my life personally is pain. That Jesus chose to endure suffering. And that somehow shows me how to be more human in a broken world. And so I started saying, okay, am I willing to share my story? Like, am I, am I in a place where I'm willing to go all in on this? Because it's going to mean personally being vulnerable in a different kind of way and um, putting out there in public beyond just maybe a sermon recording from here or there and some feed that no one ever listened to, you know, like this is a public record, you know? And then I had this sense of peace that I was supposed to do it. And I started writing a book that was basically, if I, if I were to summarize this to friends and family, I, I basically say, this is what Jesus did in my life through Seattle. This is how Jesus shaped me in Seattle. That's basically what this book is. And I didn't know I was going to be writing that book, but I'm still grateful I did because look, even if it sells five copies, I think it did a little better than that. But even if it sells just a few copies, um, I probably bought five copies. So, you know, <laughs> that's, that's, uh, that's so you're pushing at least 10. Yeah, man. man. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but like, even if it doesn't sell well, this is a testimony of what God did in my journey. And it's something that when my kids are curious about their dad, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, hopefully I can hand it to them and say, this is what your dad was sitting with, wrestling with when you were a little precious child. And you were such a gift because you helped shape me along with Jesus. You know, like I wanted to offer that. And, um, well, and that you, gives you me did joy. a great job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you did a great job. It's easy to read. It's, it's interesting. Um, it's got great stories, you know, throughout some personal, um, you know, events in your life. Um, I got a, if it's okay, I got a couple questions about the writing process. Because uh, yeah. Something you, something you said there triggered something in me. Um, when, when you began to write this, did the book evolve as you were writing it or did you kind of know where you were headed or, or did you get into it? And then there were some maybe emotional surprises there, digging up some of your own stories, got a little bit more difficult than maybe you thought, or, mm. you know, I don't know. I'm just curious, did that kind of grow as you began to write and you went in different places or did you pretty much have this book mapped out as you began? Uh, so I had a version of this book mapped out for sure. So, okay. so for instance, when you, when you write a book, um, and you want to get it published, most people yeah. will do like two or three chapters and an outline and, here's why I'm sellable, you know, all of that silly stuff. Right. Right. right, Uh, and, and so I had a direction for sure. I think the original title was going to be something like he is not here, which was about that line from the gospels where they find the empty tomb and he is not here. And really that image ended up staying in the book. Uh, but I hated the title. Like I liked the concept of the title, but it's like, it it, it doesn't, doesn't grab me. And so, um, we ended up with this, which I, I really love how it all turned out. Yeah, but, I love the title. Oh, thank you. Thank yeah, you. Um, and the book evolved in a couple of ways. So the first draft I submitted uh, like three weeks after the pandemic started. And so <laughs> here I am just in my bunker finishing up this manuscript. And I'm I'm a, a resourcer at heart. You kind of know this probably about me. So I'm, I'm putting like crazy amounts of footnotes, like so many footnotes. And 
I had a word count limit that I was supposed to keep to, which is like 60,000 words or something, which is like the average popular Christian book probably. And I didn't know that footnotes counted against my total word count. And so here I am, I'm writing this thing and I'm like, man, this is like, it's going to feel easy to read. But for all those nerdy people, they're going to be able to track down all my sources. Like I'm going to point them to Josephus and I'm going to point them towards <laughs> like I'm, I'm just all in on the journey. Right. And uh, I'll tell you what. I got that to my editor and he goes, yeah, um, all of that counts against your total and you're already over your total. Bro, we've got to cut this a little. And uh, <laughs> and it was good. And so it wasn't just needing to shorten it, but also one of the things that was so helpful um, was uh, I, my editor is a, also an author and, he, and a, an amazing just writer. His name's Paul Pastor. And he was a helpful guide for onboarding me into the creative journey for this first book too. He would help me say, he would help me see things like, hey, Pastoral Kurt or Professor Kurt, where, where are you in this paragraph? Like help me, help me navigate this because as a reader, we want more pastoral under undergirded by professor but not explicitly so you know and so i I had to do that dance but i'll tell you by the end of it the the final product i i get a lot of joy out of it even like you know i and it's not a it's not a it's not a uh arrogance thing it's like a wow i partnered with god and some friends and this book is a product and um i i just am overwhelmingly blessed because of that and so so yeah it certainly evolved and the way it evolved all led to it becoming better for sure yeah 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 well i I know in reading the book there were some you know some painful events that you described Mm -hmm. you know different things that you went through in your journey and i'm just always curious when when an author writes those things if it really stirs up you know the emotion within them and is it difficult to go through and then you know you, you you get into the vulnerability part yeah. of it, which I had, a, I have a question on that yeah. just regarding, you know, how vulnerable do you get? You know, when, when does it get too much? You know, am I, am I divulging some things here? I maybe shouldn't, it's too, a little too much for a pastor, you know, and yeah. kind of where's that line and, you know, some of the, your own wounds that may not be completely healed mm-hmm, yet. Mm-hmm. And you're still kind of nursing a few of them and yeah. you're, you're, you're kind of further down the road in some of them. And I'm just, you know, I just find oh. that fascinating. And, yeah. you know, we, we stand in front of a lot of people, you know, week after week, and we share some of the very, you know, uh, vulnerable parts of who we are. And it can yeah. get yeah. difficult at times, at least it has with me. Mm-hmm. You know, I have felt sometimes I go home and I think, why did I, why did I share that story? That was so yeah. private. It was so personal. But yeah. yet those are some often the, the very messages that people come up and say, man, that meant so much to me. Yeah. You know, Thank you for being so vulnerable. And so I'm just, mm-hmm. I'm just curious yeah. how that was for you walking through some of that. It, it was it was a, a work of discernment for sure. Um, yeah. I uh, I have a strong conviction that being vulnerable is a gift from God to others mm-hmm. and to yourself. But I also have a strong conviction that oversharing is unhelpful. And um, so I had some parameters. How do you draw that line? Yeah, how do you do that? Well, you have to have. I had to have parameters. So I yeah. I knew first one line was I'm sharing my own stories not the stories of other people involved in them. So so my mom shows up in the book a few times because she was there during a lot of the abuse. But my aim was I'm not sharing her story, I'm sharing mine and I I got holy permission from my mom before I put this into print. And I wasn't going to say anything 
that dishonored her, that shamed her. Um, I wanted to elevate her in spite of the fact that as she would admit her decision-making was not great when I was a kid. She didn't, she wasn't abusive physically to me for sure, but she created conditions where that was going to happen by having this relationship with this man. And you know, it's all in the book, but, but so one of the parameters though was, is this my story or am I sharing someone else's business and I can't share other people's business. So I don't, for instance, I don't have the names of my siblings aren't in the book. Um, I generalize. And then there's some deep pain that I have shared publicly once or twice in my younger years that I now will not share publicly again. And, and that was part of the work of discernment. And so it's not in the book because I, I realized that it was blurring the line between my story and my mom's story. And I have to, and this wasn't at her request. This was just me doing this work um, and deciding, oh, I get to hold back here. I'm not actually going to go there. That's not for other people. And, and the same thing with my wife. What parts of this are honoring her part of the story and which, you know, so, so there's a navigation there. And, and ultimately, I, I don't want to share things that, look, I'm never going to heal completely from my brokenness, but if there's fresh brokenness, it's not going to help other people because it has to come through a grid of grace and a grid of God's been at work for a journey here before I feel comfortable really bringing it to the table. And so, um, so I, yeah, I, and I asked hard questions a lot of the time. I had multiple people in my life that I was like, am I doing this well? And am I honoring the other people involved? And if I'm not, please call me out because this is about to go into the world. And, um, you know, I, I honestly, well, again, I, yeah. you know, I, I think you did well. I, yeah. I remember reading parts of it and, and it was, it was focused on you yeah. and you, you didn't, uh, you didn't, you know, you didn't bulge too much. And that, that's, you know, something I, you know, I've, I've had my well, own share of pain and, it's and hard. my own childhood. Yeah. And yeah, I try to share some of those stories up front. Then I, sometimes I, I walk away and I think, yeah, you know, maybe I made, you know, that person seem a little worse than maybe they are, or, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I've had to battle that, you know, over 30 years of ministry and try to find that happy balance there yes. you know, if I can. Yes. So anyway, I'm just curious, another person who's sharing yeah. that, those family stories and some of the pain of childhood and stepfather and, you know, mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, you don't want to embarrass them, but you want to be honest. And right. It was, right. Yeah, I'm just curious. So no, I, I appreciate that. And honestly, for me, that was one of the, the, the best parts of this process for me was really yep. like thinking through, what are my parameters for actually being vulnerable? And, and yeah. how, do I, how do I communicate that in a grace-filled way? And so I appreciate yeah. your affirmation in that. Oh, and, yeah. and I'll yeah. tell you, it, 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 it's, it's not well easy. It's well done. Yeah. yeah. No, yeah. I'm sure it's not. Yeah. One, one thing you said in your book is that Jesus, and this, this may not be exactly how you said it, but Jesus is often hidden within shame. And, and we're talking, we're talking about shame and vulnerability and just yeah. kind of that. How, how, how so? How is he often hidden within the shame that, that we carry? He's yeah. he's there, but we don't see him. Yeah, yeah. you know, we, we we look for him, but we can't find him. And I know mm-hmm. a lot of the people sitting in my church, I'm sure in your own, carry a, a ton of shame with them from their childhood, from their yeah. first marriage, from you know decisions they've made, addictions they they have, whatever. So talk to me a little bit, Kurt. Just yeah. how do people? How does he hide within it? Yeah, you know that's really really a great question. Um, and 
one of the things that I, I personally have a strong conviction that um, God doesn't directly cause our pain, but that God is very good at recycling pain and bringing something good out of it and whenever possible. And, um, and that's a general statement. So it could, it needs nuance in various ways. Like there's times when Jesus in the gospel, you know, in the, in the new Testament will say, Hey, disciples go do this thing. And it's going to make you suffer. Um, but again, that suffering is for the cause of Christ. And it's a kind of suffering that is, um, redemptive in its own way. Right. But the, the, like, big picture, like big scale. Does God want a human to suffer? Well, no, but the conditions are here for suffering. And so how do we navigate that with Jesus? And so one of the things that I think is really significant is that it's often in retrospect that we go back into those memories, back into those hard spaces and recognize the ways in which Jesus was present, even if in the moment we may not know it in the moment we may not experience it and and that's not to simply just like wash away the fact that the experience itself was hard uh, but it, it's simply to say that sometimes god is with us and god hates that we're suffering and in spite of that because of free will in the world it's going to play out and so god is already on the move to say how can i redeem suffering here how can I bring something good, even though this is wrong? This is evil, and so um, and so people have to wrestle so, with so that. So it's actually yeah. going back and and finding or or looking for God in those very painful moments that you experience, even in your past. I think so, and I and I don't think yeah. it's exclusively that. Um, right. That's oh, been sure. a big part of my journey. I mean, I think there's moments where. We experience the goodness of Jesus in the middle of suffering, but the suffering doesn't go away. And, and that's a gift in and of itself. Um, there's other times where we've experienced deep wounds, deep trauma, couldn't experience, felt like we weren't experiencing Jesus maybe in the moment for whatever reason. I mean, some trauma is so big that you have to ask, is there even a God here, right? Yep. But, right. but then we come out the other side and we recognize what would, have, what would God's experience have been like? Jesus, can you reveal that to me? And I know that gets a little mystical, a little, you know, prayerful, but in my own experience, I would say that God has something to show us, that that there's something of God's heart of suffering with us, that God actually feels pain and um, is feeling our pain in the moment. And and that to me is redemptive. So that that is that is a little of what you talk about when you when you mention about page thirty. I just wrote this mm-hmm. down where you say that we miss half of Jesus's significance when we miss his humanity. Yep. So so it's in the humanity where the suffering is. Yeah. And we often what what would you would you would you say that a lot of the I don't know if it says lot but just there, there's a decent amount of people sitting in church weekend after weekend who really have never connected with the humanity of Jesus. Yeah. They connect with the divinity. Mm-hmm. They connect with the fact he's the son of God. He's in glory. He's resurrected. He's powerful. All these mm-hmm. different things. But we really, other than the cross, you yeah. know, other than looking at the cross on Easter, Good Friday, yeah. you know, those things, we just miss the significance of the human side of Christ. Mm-hmm. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. 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 And it's, it's in the, it's, I mean, look at Jesus on the cross, right? That is the ultimate moment of shame. The Bible right. says in all kinds of different ways, like 
Jesus basically naked on a cross dying for his enemies is the most shameful experience a human in the first century could have. And it's yet in that moment that um, we see the heart and character of God revealed through the humanity of Jesus suffering in that moment. And so I think a lot of the time we disconnect ourselves from the humanity of Jesus because we need a God who transcends suffering. We need a God who it can fix it. And what we see in Jesus is a God who doesn't always choose to fix it, but chooses to endure it in solidarity with us. And I think there's such a big spiritual payoff to starting to say the humanity of Jesus isn't just so that he could live for 33 years, die and conquer sin and death and then resurrect. But we look at his life and we see his suffering and we say, oh, there is a God who gets it. And it looks like human flesh when God gets it. God is so good that God takes on human flesh and will not settle for being just the transcendent being out there. Um, That God might feel like a fix-it genie and someone we can rely on, but we need a God also who empathizes with our experience. And as soon as we step into that space with God, all of a sudden we start to realize, wow, my pain is awful. So is Jesus's pain. And yet God is on the move to restore all things, including my brokenness and my life. And that to me is such a deeply missed connection point experientially in the spiritual journey. Yeah, that's so good. And I would imagine that this this message is really underneath so much of your preaching and teaching, mm-hmm. and it, it, it just blends into many of your messages. Do you say yeah. that's kind of an overall theme? Or? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. And, and the idea that when we look at Jesus and we want to become more like him, mm-hmm. that helps us become more human, not less, because yeah. ultimately being human is what God designed us to be. And being broken and sinful, of course, as we are, uh, that that's just us being less human. So yeah. it's not as though God wants us to escape our humanity. He wants us to step all the way into it. And when we finally do that, it'll take a resurrection to pull off. But post-resurrection of humankind who are in Christ, oh, wow, we're going to be yeah. fully, finally human forever. And uh, so I think I think some people get thrown off by that language because they're not familiar. They're like, oh, that sounds really new agey. No, no, no. Yeah, this is right. Orthodox Christianity 101. And we, we're invited to take the human nature of our, our own lives and the human nature of Jesus very seriously. Yeah, that, that theology is so old, it sounds new. That's right. That's right. Yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah. You nailed it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It's interesting. I think when most people think about, you know, I want to be more like Jesus, you know, God, make me more like Jesus. They're certainly thinking of the divinity side. Uh-huh, they're thinking uh-huh. the victory. They're thinking overcoming. They're thinking, yeah. you know, being able to, uh, you know, embarrass the, the Pharisees and the teachers uh-huh. of the law with the knowledge and wisdom. Rarely are they thinking about washing more feet. Yep. Rarely are they thinking about, you know, taking the stripes the pain, the hurt, the disappointment, yeah. the people rejecting, walking away, disciples leaving, someone close to them betraying them, yeah. you know, on and on it goes. Those are not the things that we often think about when we say, right. make me more like Jesus. Yeah. And I think that is, I feel it's a message that our world needs more today probably mm. than ever. Preach I think it. that's maybe why I resonated, you know, resonated so much with your book, because yeah. it's just such an incredibly important message, especially right now when our whole yeah. world seems to be suffering. Yeah, yeah. And asking the question, what does it mean to be human like Jesus? What means that we become more of the image bearer God wanted? And that image bearer seems to be someone who cares about 
a relationship with God, relationship with the soil, relationship with humanity, right? And so, yeah. um, and it doesn't just make us more image bearers. I, I don't have a good word for that, image bearingness, whatever you want to call yeah. it. Yeah. Like it doesn't yeah. just do that in that sense, but Jesus has compassionate humanity. You see yeah. it throughout the gospel. So, so it's not just about us being built up in Christ so that we feel like we're more whole and healthy. It's actually mm. about pouring ourselves out into a world of brokenness and saying my ongoing growth towards becoming more human like Jesus gives me this compassionate humanity to step into a world of pain, COVID, etc. to say, how can I love like Jesus loves and endure what like Jesus endures um, for the sake of the other. That's so good. Well, Hey, let me, let me ask you this. What, what would you say, you know, to, to the hurting person now who may be listening and, you know, as a pastor, we no doubt every Sunday morning, I'll just mention this every Sunday morning, we have a little huddle. We get our volunteers together and we, you know, we just sit in the auditorium and Mm. sometimes we gather in a circle and it's just those who are serving that day. And we always take time to just say, Hey, you know, what, what prayer needs do you have? What what do you have going on? And I'm just every Sunday morning, it seems like I'm just shocked at the amount of pain that is in the lives of just our volunteers. And they just represent just, you know, they're just a fraction of the, of the people here. And people are hurting everywhere. I mean, we got people diagnosed with cancer. We've got people's marriages falling apart. We've got, we've had so many people affected by deaths because of COVID in our community, in our city and Mm. on and on. So let's imagine that there's, I don't think we have to imagine it's true. There are people listening right now, you know, this podcast when it's released and they're going to be driving down the road. They're going to be, you know, sitting in their living room or whatever, jogging and they're listening and we're talking about you know, pain and, and Jesus and his humanity and overcoming it and becoming more like Christ. And yet their heart is breaking mm. and they, they feel betrayed. They feel they've prayed, they fasted, they've given, they've, they've done everything and they just, they just don't get it. And it's, mm. you know, it's, so what, what do you say to that, Kurt? What, 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 what hope, the echoing of hope, what hope mm. do you have for that mom who maybe just lost her baby or, ah. you know, that, that, that family whose marriage they thought was going to work out and they've gone through counseling and, and it still ended up divorced. And, you know, I know you don't have all the answers. I don't either. We're both pastors doing the best yeah. we can, but, but what's, what's a word of encouragement and some hope you have for them now? You know, I think I probably answer this question differently every time I'm asked. So what, yeah. what comes to mind right now is that, there's wisdom in those situations in resisting the impulse to make meaning out of everything that's happening right now. In other words, uh, it would be easy to say things like, um, my baby, we lost my baby because God wanted the baby more than we did. No, no, no. That's, that's, that's a, that's a narrative that if you play it out too long can lead to places that aren't healthy. Um, don't over assign that. What, what, what if it's the opposite? What if it's Mm. when you lost that baby, God felt the loss with you Mm. and just sit in that for a while and, and ask the questions, uh, about what does that mean for God to just sit with me in my pain? We're very quick as people to try to jump over pain. And I think one of the things that I'm learning, and I still have to learn this pain um, for anyone who's an Enneagram person, I, I, I'm an Enneagram 7. Pain is the thing I resist. So I wrote a book about pain because I, I resist it <laughs> so much. And I would just simply say that 
with the right boundaries in place, you know, other people in your life, etc. Sitting in pain is wise. And assigning meaning to all your pain and attaching God's name to it will not bring hope and healing like you think it will. It's actually can be, and I don't want to overstate this, um, but it can be just simply a, a uh, spiritual coping mechanism that helps you avoid the weight and reality of what's actually happened. Hmm. Now, I'm not against finding those things that help you cope, although I kind of kind of talk about that in the book a little bit in, in a radical way, I think. But what I, what I want to say is um, don't skip over the hard part. As long as you have boundaries that don't let you spiral out of control and move towards harm, you know, you don't want to be in a place where you're moving towards harm of yourself or others. But if you, if you have enough capacity with the resources you have to let the pain linger a little bit and ask questions of it and to be honest with God about it, that that's going to pay off so much. It's not going to bring back the baby. It's not going to fix the marriage. It's not going to do all those things. But there is hope. There is healing on the other side of it, um, because there was hope and healing for Jesus on the other side of his pain, on the other side of his wow. his struggles. And I think I think Scripture points us to the reality that anyone who's in Christ on the other side of pain um, is resurrection someday, is a new creation, and um, that isn't some utopia thing that we just delegate to some future event, but it's something that can inform how we find hope in the present. And, um, and so that, that's what comes to mind. Yeah. That, uh, you know, that really brings up something and I'll I'll just, just thought of this and love your thoughts on it. It, it it seems like we, especially in the Western culture, do everything we can to get out of pain as quickly as possible. Mm -hmm. You know, whether that's a a small headache, you know, we take ibuprofen or whatever, you know, as soon as we feel any kind of discomfort, you know, we, 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 we try our best to numb ourselves or to get ourselves in a different position. And pain never has, and I don't want to say that, you know, that it, that it has a, that it's a medicine in and of itself, but there is something about pain that does seem to bring a cleansing, a, a renewal, a reprioritizing, mm-hmm. I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. And we try to dodge it so quickly. We never seem to let it have its work, almost like James says, you know, count it joy when you face these trials and yeah. you know that this testing will eventually, but you got to have, the work's got to continue. And um, I think what you, what you just said there about sitting in your pain, I think that is so key. Mm-hmm. Rather than immediately trying to get out of it, you know, what are the lessons here to be, to be learned? And it's not that God gave it to you to teach you a lesson, but there are lessons to be learned. Would you say that's true? Yeah. And I think that's that sort of recycling image, right? So, so there's trash that happens in our lives. God doesn't cause the trash directly. Doesn't want the trash. There's powers and principalities and free will floating all over the place that create conditions where suffering is real. And, what do we do with that? Well, we sit with it and see what God recycles from it. See what God can rummage from it. And sometimes I'll, I'll be really honest. There's some things that maybe there's very little or nothing left. You know, some things just get burned up. Some things are so bad that it's just burned up. But to have the capacity to to ask the question, could God be doing something redemptive even in the midst of the pain? 
um, is much different than saying God caused the pain to do something redemptive. God, you know, I I feel like that just diminishes God's glory in some ways. Like, like does, does God really need terrible things to happen to teach us things? I I don't think so. I think God's creative. I hear that a lot. Yeah. And it's either it's either preached or it's implied, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Uh, it really bothers me. I'm, yeah. Unfortunately, I'm, I'm embarrassed to admit that for a number of years in my early uh, years of ministry, I believe that. Oh, sure, I, I did every too. Every single thing that happened, you know, God caused it. He wanted it to happen, or He could have stopped it, but He chose not to because yeah. there was a lesson here. There was something I needed to learn. Something in me needed to be burned out. Right. You know, something in me was prideful. Something in me was sinful. And uh, you know, the older I've 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 grown hopefully wiser, mm. you know. The more I've read and tried to expand my heart and mind a little, um, and hanging around people much smarter than me, mm. um, I realize that you know that isn't, and that's very dangerous. I, I really think that's a dangerous way of looking at at God and faith and Scripture. Yeah. Uh, but there's a lot of people, Kurt, who who still hold on to that, and they'll they'll say it to me even in counseling or oh, yeah. you know, and talking with them in the hallway or lobby. Well, you know, God could have stopped it, so obviously He has something you know, for me in this. And I just have to trust that, you know, my, my son is gone or my husband died, but I just have to trust that God wanted him more than, than, than I did, you know, yeah. or like that, you know? Yeah. it just, it really pains me almost to hear mm-hmm. that anymore. Well, yeah. And, and I hear it a lot too. Yeah. And, and this last Sunday, uh, I, I taught from first Corinthians chapter 15 and we didn't really emphasize this point, but the point always sticks out to me when I study the text, uh, at the end, Jesus is going to conquer death. Like death, it says death is the last enemy. And so many people who are dealing with grieving a death attribute that to God. And yet God says, no, no, death is actually an enemy to God. So why would God partner with death? You know, now are there, are there moments that are outside of the norm in the Bible? And we have to be honest about those things like Ananias and Sapphira. Sure. We, We need to have good conversations around hard passages. But on the paradigm level, on the normative level, you, you don't see God, especially as revealed in Jesus, looking to cause circumstances to elevate God's status somehow. Yeah. God doesn't need yeah. that. God, God mourns that. And, um, yeah. and so I'm right there with you, Scott. And it's, yeah. a, it's a pastoral reality that yeah. um, does cause disruption because so many of us were trained to think differently about God's nature. And it's hard to navigate even as a teaching pastor, you know, yeah. who may have that conviction. Um, yeah. And so, and, and to honor people where they're at too, on the other end, yeah. right? Like I, I read, yeah. I read somewhere, I don't even remember who it was and maybe you do, but I read that, you know, when you look in the casket and you, you see the little baby, you're not looking at the face of God. You're looking at the face of God's enemy. Mm. And I remember that grabbed me and I thought, you know, that that's what I need to, to, to realize. Death is the enemy of God. Yeah. He conquered death, just like you said. So yeah. when you look at that loved one in that casket and you think, you know, that that, that is not the hand of God there. That's, mm-hmm. that's the hand of the enemy. And you yeah. have to keep remembering that, that, that there is hope and, and the, the echoing of hope beyond the grave. That's right. And that we, we who believe in the resurrection and life, we believe that even beyond death, there is hope and death right. is not the answer. Death is the problem. That's right. And uh, he's, he's, he's conquered that. So mm. anyway, Kurt, let me, let me wrap this, this time up with you by oh. asking you uh, one, one other question and sure. unrelated to what we're talking about now, but this is, this goes back to the pandemic and the restrictions 
Republicans and, and kind of the deconstruction movement and, mm-hmm. and all these kind of things that have happened over the last couple of years. What what are your what are your thoughts? And I know this is a huge question, no, so I'm fine. not asking you for a full full answer, but just a few thoughts on on how we're changing as a as a church. Because I don't, yeah. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm a little cynical, but I just don't think we'll ever go back to the way things were, which I think is actually good in, right. in many ways to what things were prior to the pandemic. Mm-hmm. I know in our own church, I could talk a long time just about some things that have changed that I think are good. They're still painful, but they're good, and we need yeah. to have some change. And I think the church at large needed to have some change. But what, what do you see as kind of how we're how how the church kind of will end up, if you will. So I'm asking you to predict a little yeah. bit, but yeah. where, where are we on the other side of the pandemic? What do you think? Hmm. So I think pragmatically speaking, I think it's pretty clear that churches that have been willing to uh, think through, like, what do we actually do? Like, what what why do we really exist? Are we are we here to maintain uh, this smorgasbord of programs? Or are we here to proclaim and embody the good news of Jesus? And what does that mean? And how does that affect every part of how we organize our ministries? And maybe there's some ministries that no longer serve that purpose in, in a very clear, direct way. So we're having to retool. We're having to really say, what are the few things that we should do well, rather than spread ourselves over all these things and do them partially okay? Yeah. And, and so I think churches that really hone into... What is the human need in my city? What is the human need in our world? And how does that intersect with the gospel? Um, and how do we organize around that? Um, I think we're, we're moving towards some really hopeful times for those who are willing to do the hard things there. Um, and when it comes to my cynicism, I, I worry that... So it's not just that we have become polarized it's the suspicion of everything that concerns me that there's no longer a spirit of trust in a lot of spaces uh during this covid stuff there's no longer uh there's just a lot of um rabbit holes that people have dived into and baptized it as christian just like in the states especially we often baptize um, nationalism or any of these other things, right? And so uh, I worry that we're baptizing suspicion and anti-science and, and, and different things. Um, and, and I'm saying we're, uh, I'm, I'm saying people that I love um, have, have dove in these directions. And as they do so, there, there's just an increasing split of a different kind that's just really heartbreaking, I think. And so while on the one hand, I want to say, let's bear with each other. Unity matters. I I affirm that. I also want to say that telling the truth matters and standing up for what's right matters. And so we have to figure out how do we do both of those well? And sometimes it is going to mean that there's some parting of the ways. And sometimes it'll mean, no, we're going to bear together, even where we disagree on some of this stuff. Um, so, So I think when it comes to Christian community, those are some of the things I'm noticing and pragmatically was kind of what I shared a bit ago. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Well, Kurt, thank you so very much uh, for being with me today. This has been a real honor to oh. have you here. And uh, let me just remind everyone again, go pick up Echoing Hope. I'm sure you can get it at you know different bookstores online. They're available everywhere. And uh, you know, read it. 
buy an extra copy for a friend, be a great uh, small group study. It would be a great book study to kind of get with some friends together and say, hey, just read a chapter or two and talk about it. You've got questions at the end of your chapter, some additional thoughts that Mm -hmm, I think are mm -hmm. really good to help people. And uh, it's good stuff. So thank you, Kurt. It's a real honor. Yeah, you know, thank you so much. And I'll just say, I'll put a plug out there. We've recorded uh, six or seven short videos based on the major themes of the book. Mm -hmm. They're still being produced right now, but those are going to come out uh, packaged as small group curriculum for churches that want to do it. Oh, good. And paired with sermon series resources for pastors who want to go all in on this humanity yeah. of Jesus. Stuff. That reminds me, there are, there are a few things here in the book I, I underlined that I'm going to be uh, putting in my sermons. So. Hey, right <laughs> I'll on. give you credit. I appreciate the credit. But it's man, uh, really, it's really good. Yeah, yeah really, yeah. really good. Hey, that reminds me, do you have another book kind of on your horizon? Is that something you're going to, you want to write? It doesn't even have to be within the next year or so, but just something that might be brewing inside of you right now? You know, I want to be really blunt and honest. Uh, yeah. I, after this book was done, I started trying to outline new books. Yeah. And it's a, they all feel flat in my my experience. Yeah. And so um, I'm actually giving myself grace and permission to just yeah, see absolutely. what emerges. And so uh, yeah. I do want to write. I love writing. Writing is a is like my creative space. So yes, I do want to do more. Um, the question is, what what's Jesus going to show me that I should do? And I haven't figured that out yet. So. Um, yeah, we'll, well see. Just be patient, and uh, he'll he'll stir that up in you when it's time. Oh, I, I believe it. I believe yeah. it. That's yeah. great. Well, thank you again, Kurt. Hey, thank you. This is so great.